Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. And thank you, Father, for giving us a Bible that teaches us what we ought to believe and what we ought to uh, think and how we ought, how our minds should operate. And we don't have to look to this world to get its philosophies. We can just look in your, in your book. I ask that you be with the preaching that's, uh, that's going to happen in the next few moments and that you would help us, Lord, to just establish this church as a church that preaches the truth. In your precious and holy name I pray, amen. Alright, uh, by, by way of introduction, I just want to give you some information here. We read Genesis chapter number 1. Obviously, it's the account of creation, uh, when God created the heavens and the earth. Let me just give you some, some uh, just uh, a breakdown of, of what happened just by way of introduction. Day 1, we see that God created the heaven and the earth and light, and God divided the light from darkness, and, uh, and He named both light and darkness. And we see that in Genesis chapter number 1, uh, verses uh, 1 through 5. It says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Verse 4 says, And God saw the light, that it was good. God divided the light from the darkness. Verse 5 says, God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. Day number 2, we see that God created the firmament. Uh, which he later tells us it's the heaven, and divided the waters under and above the firmament, and, uh, and he also named the firmament heaven. And we see that in uh, verses 6 through 8. Day number 3, we see that God divided the waters and the dry land. He named the land earth and the water sea, and he, and he created plant life. And we see that in verses uh, 9 through 11. We see there in verse 11 that he says, Let the earth bring forth... Uh, grass and the herb yielding seed and the fruit yielding fruit after his kind. So he created that plant life. Day number four, God created the sun and the moon and the stars. And that's uh, explained in verses 14 through 19. Verse 16 says, And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Day number five, God created all the animals uh, in the sea and, and all the birds. And, and, and we see that in verses 20 through 23. I won't take the time to read those for you. And day number 6, God created the animals that were on the earth, and He also created man. And, uh, and that's why uh, number, the number 6 is sometimes referred to as, a, as the number of man. Uh, that's why in, in Revelation, you know, the, the beast, the, the mark of the beast is 666, and, and all of that. Uh, man was created on, on day number 6. And day number 7, God rested. Uh, and that's actually in Genesis chapter number 2. If, if we read the entire chapter 1, it ended at the end of the sixth day. It says, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Genesis chapter number 2, verses 1 and 2 says, And the heaven and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended His work, which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day, and all His work, which, which He had made. So, so that was just kind of a, a breakup, an outline of day-to-day of -day what happened in, the, in that week of creation. And what God created every day. Um, now that's, that's not the sermon tonight. I just wanted to give you that information. Uh, but what we find in, in Genesis chapter number 1, in this very first chapter, is that uh, God goes, uh, he, he goes ahead and he, and he shows us the process in which He created. But as He's describing how He created this earth, He gives us uh, tidbits of information. He gives us certain wordings and certain things. And it's interesting to me because there are things that kind of answer some of the beliefs or some of the theories that people have today that attack the existence of God. It's interesting to me that Genesis chapter number 1, God goes ahead and gives us enough information 
to be able to understand. And he kind of just uh, replies and, and he gives an answer to the critics who will one day say that God doesn't exist or give us uh, uh, sort of a philosophy that is attacking God. So, so as God gives us an account of how He created the heaven and the earth, He also uh, defends Himself or defends His existence. Um, and I want you to look at some of those closely. I promise that the sermon is not very long tonight. Point number one is this. I want us to look at the attack on God through evolution. The attack on God through evolution. And, and Genesis chapter 1 uh, shows us what we ought to believe about evolution. Uh, the first thing I want to show you is this. Everything bring forth af- brings forth after its his own kind. Everything brings forth after his own kind. If you're in Genesis chapter number 1, look down at verse number 11. Look at verse 11. Genesis chapter number 1. And look at verse 11. The Bible says, And God said... Now, read this with, with me. I want you to read it as I'm reading it. Genesis chapter 1 11 says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, and herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit. Now, I want you to see what are the next three words. Just read them out loud. What does it say? After His kind. Right. Do you see that? After His kind. Whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. Look at verse 12. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed. What are those three words? After his kind. And the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself. What does it say? After his kind. And God saw that it was good. Uh, drop down to verse 21. Genesis 1.21. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth. Which the waters brought forth abundantly. What does it say? After their kind. And every winged fowl. After his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, Be fruitful and multiply. And fill the waters and the seas. And, the, and let the fowls multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Look at verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature. After his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beast of the earth, after his kind, and it was so, and God made the beast of the earth, after his kind, and the cattle, after his kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth, after his kind, and God saw that it was good, now, I know it's a little bit repetitive, I'm just showing you, but God, it seems like God is trying to make a point, doesn't it? I mean, just verse after verse after verse, He tells us, I created this plant, and I told it to multiply, and I told it to be fruitful after his kind. And he says, I created these animals, and I told them to multiply after their kind. And he keeps using this word, this phrase, after their kind, or after his kind. And now today, the world wants us to believe that we evolved from nothing. They want us to believe that, that there was a, a, a single cell organism, or what, I don't even know what they really want us to believe. They all have different beliefs. But they want us to believe that, that some sort of an animal gave birth to a different animal, that eventually gave birth to a different animal, that eventually gave birth to a human being. In Genesis chapter number 1, the, the theory of evolution really is an attack on God's creation. It's an attack on Genesis chapter number 1. And in Genesis chapter number 1, I mean thousands of years before Darwin, and thousands of years before evolution ever uh, was even thought of, God went ahead and answered the question. And He said, look, if you just read the passage, I, I let you know that everything reproduces after its kind. A dog will give birth to a dog. Now, a dog may give birth to a different type of dog, 
Um, we were talking to the Bersons uh, uh, last night, and they have uh, labs that they that they breed. And we we're talking about how how you know usually uh, your wife is saying how usually labs are a certain type of dog. They're considered, I think, they're considered like a medium sized dog, but uh, their dogs are humongous, you know. And uh, we were talking about how how. A lot of times you get dogs now that, that are so big because you're breeding them with bigger dogs, you know? So a, a lab of today may be different of a lab, you know, 10 years ago, you know, on average. But here's the difference. It's still a lab, you know what I'm saying? It's still a dog. Now, a dog may give birth to a different type of dog. And you could mix different kinds of dogs and, and, and get a different dog. But you're never going to have uh, two different kinds of dogs mate and a human be born. Does that make sense? Because the Bible says we, we multiply after our own kind. That word kind means uh, species. That's what we consider today as species. And uh, a kind or species are not necessarily the same animal, but the same type of animal. And, and, and really what, help, what, what keeps a species together, or, or what, what decides what type of species are, is an animal that can breed together. If two animals can't breed together, they're not the same type of species. A, a dog and a cat cannot breed together. No, when I was a little kid, I used to think that dogs and cats uh, were, were bred, and I thought they would breed together. I thought that the dog was a male and the cat was a female. And I thought that all dogs were males and all cats were females, you know? And, and that's not true. A dog and a cat can't breed because they're not the same type of species. Uh, so the same kind or, or the same species are animals that could breed together, uh, and, and God says that you're always going to have the same kind. Does that make sense? So, so you're, you're never going to... Evolution, evolution just doesn't make any sense. According to the Bible. And God is just verse after verse after verse letting us know that everything breathes after His own kind. Now look at this. Look at verse 26. Genesis chapter number 1, look at verse 26. The Bible says, And God said, Let us make man. And look what He says. In our image. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. A human being, the Bible says, that God created man in his image. See, evolution wants us to think that we're animals. Evolution uh, wants us to think that, that we're nothing just more than an evolved animal. That, that, that we came from monkeys or apes and that really that's all we are. But God says, no, no, I created animals. And God said, I created all animals and He made beautiful animals. But He said, when I made a human, I took the time to create something in my image. Amen. Is what God says. And God says we were created in, in His image. And uh, Psalms 139.14 says, I will praise Thee. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Man is not an animal, like evolutionists want us to, wants us to think. Our bodies are complex, and, uh, and they're designed by God. I was reading an article just earlier this week. I was actually just studying for this sermon, and I, and I, I came across this article. Uh, I want to read it to you. It was taken from the Associated Press. Now, who knows who, who's ever heard of Stephen Hawking? Who's heard of Stephen Hawking? You know, most people probably, most adults probably have, have heard of Stephen Hawking. You know, some people haven't. Um, but uh, Steve, let me tell you a little bit about him. Stephen Hawking is a British uh, theoretical physicist and uh, cosmologist. I don't know if that's how that's pronounced. But uh, uh, whose scientific career spans over 40 years. 
Uh, his books and public appearances have made him an academic celebrity. Hawkins has a uh, neuromuscular dystrophy uh, that is related uh, to amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, a condition that has uh, just progressed over the years and has left him almost completely paralyzed. Uh, he's not able to, to move. He's not able to speak. Um, he actually uses a voice synthesizer to communicate. So he uses technology really to be able to talk. But he's just this well-known, uh, well-acclaimed scientist of our day. Uh, I've heard people say that they think he's the, the smartest uh, man alive. You know, I don't know... Well, I know that's not true, but, but um, you know, people, pe- people think very highly of what he has to say. Stephen Hawking's just recently, let me read you this article. It was taken from the Associated Press in London. It says, physicist Stephen Hawking says, God wasn't necessary for the creation of the universe. In his new book, The Grand Design. The British scientist says, unraveling a complex series of theories will explain the universe. The book written with American physicist uh, and author Leonard Lodenow will be published on September 9th. In an extract published Thursday in the Times, Hawking wrote that it was not necessary... This is what Hawking wrote. This is a quote from what he said. He said, it is not necessary to invoke God. Do you know what the word invoke means? Uh, a Bible word for invoke would be this, confess, or call upon. Have you ever heard in the Bible, you know, we've read in the Bible where it says, call upon the name of the Lord. Okay, this man is saying that it's not necessary to call upon the name of the Lord. He's saying it's not necessary to invoke God. Now, I know people think he's smart, and people all his life have probably told him he's a genius, but it takes some pride, don't you think, for a man to say it is not necessary to invoke God when the Bible says that we're saved by invoking God, that we're saved by calling upon the name of the Lord. That's, that takes some guts, don't you think? Here's another quote. He said, The universe can and will create itself from nothing. Think about that. The universe can and will create itself from nothing. Hawking's wrote. This is another quote. Spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing. Why the universe exists and why we exist. And this is what Stephen Hawking uh, wrote. And look, this isn't the Baptist preacher writing. This came from the Associated Press. And they were talking about how, how he uh, has changed his beliefs on God and stuff like that. And look, you know, I'm sure he's, he, he can do a lot of math. And I'm sure he you know, knows a lot about science. But here's why I wouldn't necessarily say he's the smartest guy on, on earth. And here's why. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool hath said in his heart there is no God. Amen. The Bible says, The fool hath said in his heart there is no God. And, and you know, it's sad that a person would think... I mean, this guy's supposed to be this, a real smart guy. And he said that the universe can and will create itself from nothing. I mean, think about that. Logically think about that. Does that make sense? Something can be created from nothing. Nothing. Does that make sense? I mean, it goes against science. That's right. Science says that, that, that matter cannot be destroyed. Matter, the science says that matter cannot be created and it cannot be destroyed. It can be changed, it can be, uh, it, it can be molded, and it can be, you know, obviously, uh, but everything that God created, cannot, you, we cannot create matter. We cannot create atoms. We cannot create, but this guy has the guts to say, it's not necessary to invoke God. And, and you, know, I, you know, I'm not, I'm picking on him right now, but... Scientists all across our country believe that. The, the, the majority of America probably 
uh, believes that. And, and here's, the, here's, the, here's the worst part. Is that God gave him that mind. God gave him the ability to reason and to learn and to understand. And he's using the God-given talent that was given to him to deny his Creator. And it's just like we were talking about this morning, uh, Romans chapter no, number 1, where they changed the truth of God into a lie. And that's what the Bible says. And we've got to preach against it. And we've got to understand as Christians what we believe about that. And the sad thing is that Mr. Hawkins uh, right now is not able to speak by his own will. Because of his sickness. He's not able to stand. He's in a wheelchair. But here's, you know, I said that the, the worst part, but here's actually the worst part. The worst part is that one day Mr. Hawkins will be able to speak. One day Mr. Hawkins will be able to stand up of his own will without the wheelchair. And one day he will be able to open his mouth and his tongues and his mouth, he'll be able to form words. But the Bible says in Philippians 2.10 that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The Bible says that this day, which I believe is a great white throne judgment, that is to come, God says, and think about this. He says every knee, that, that, He's not saying every saved person, He's not saying every Christian, He says every single human being. And, and here's the sad part is, I never thought about this, so I was reading this, this uh, article and I was writing this sermon. But Mr. Hawking's, isn't able to stand right now. He's not able to kneel, but God says on that day he'll be able to kneel. On that day he'll be able to open his mouth and he'll be able to talk, but all he'll be able to do is invoke God. All he'll do, God says, is every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's sad. It's a sad statement that people today choose to believe. Here's the thing. It's called the theory of evolution. Yeah. You know why it's a theory? Because it's never been proven. That's right. There's no proof of evolution. And people, and it takes just as much faith to believe in evolution as it does in the Bible. Yeah, it takes more faith. Here's the difference. You want to know what the difference between our faith is and their faith? Is that in order to spread our gospel, you know, we use God's people's money and God's people's energy. In order for them to spread their gospel, they use taxpayer money. Yeah. My money that I pay in taxes in order to, to uh, teach that to children and teach that to kids all across this country in public school system. And they're teaching them that they came from nothing, that they didn't come from God, that there is no God, that they're nothing more than an animal. And people don't realize and they don't understand. They think, why, why is society so corrupt? Why do kids act the way they do? Why do they look like animals? And why do they act like animals? Why do they just have children? You know, uh, kids are getting pregnant out of wedlock and they're not, they're, not ma- they're not getting married and they're just having a kid with that person and a kid with that person person, and a kid with that person, and they're going into schools, and shooting everyone up, and they're doing drugs, and alcohol, and they're dressed like animals, and they pierce their bodies with tattoos, and we wonder, why, why do kids this day, today, act like animals, and it might be because we've told them they're animals, it might be because from little tiny kids in kindergarten, we're, we're reading the books to say, millions and millions of years ago, and that's not, when we should be telling them, in the beginning, God Amen. created the heavens and the earth. And then you have the Christians who try to mix evolution with creation. You know what I'm talking about? They try to say, well, I believe that God used evolution uh, for creation. This is what they say. They, they try to say that maybe God used evolution uh, to create us. They, they try to say that, that, that maybe the six days of creation are not actually uh, days, but really like thousands of years or millions of years. They say that, that one day, and this is what they say, this is what they always call 
One, you know, they'll quote from that, one day with the Lord uh, as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And I want to show you that passage because I think it's really interesting. Go with me please to 2 Peter in the New Testament. 2 Peter uh, chapter number 3. 2 Peter, chapter number 3. It's in the New Testament. 2 Peter, chapter number 3. If you're in Revelation, you went too far. If you're in Jude, you went too far. If you're in 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John, you went too far. So 2 Peter, chapter number 3. And it's really interesting to me, and here's why. They use this verse out of 2 Peter chapter number 3 to try to say that, that, that uh, evolution and Christianity could be joined together by using that phrase that, you know, with, like, with God, uh, one day is like a thousand years, so when, when he says that there were six literal days of creation, that could have been six thousand years, that could have been six million years, and, uh, and they use that, that to try to prove it. And the funny thing to me is this, that 2 Peter chapter number 3 actually deals with creation. It actually talks about it. Look at what it says. 2 Peter chapter number 3, look at verse number 1 says, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by the way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandments of us, uh, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, look what it says, verse number 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers, Walking after their own lust. Now, I want you to get the context. He's warning them that one day these scoffers are going to come and they're walking after their own lust. Look at verse 4. And saying, where is the promise of His coming? So they're doubting God. They're saying, God said He was, Jesus Christ said He was coming back. God said He was coming back. Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Peter is warning them about what these scoffers who shall come in the last days will be saying. Uh, they, they're going to be saying, you know, the, the Lord is not coming back. We, nothing has changed. It's been many years and He hasn't came back. Look at verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old. I, I just think it's interesting. The, the very verse that they use to try to disprove God's creation, God, in His context, is talking about how He created the heavens and the earth. It's making a reference to Genesis chapter number 1. I, I just think that's interesting. I think it's interesting how these people could look at the truth, right? And they're looking at a passage that is dealing with creation, and they're saying, they're trying to use this passage to prove that God didn't create. That, that's just funny to me. It's like looking at Jesus Christ and asking what is truth. But he says, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the waters and in the waters, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, but the heavens and the earth which are, which are now by the same word are kept in, in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. And look what it says. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Have you ever heard of this word, a simile? You know, when you, uh, what's a simile? When you take two things that aren't alike and you compare them. And he's using an example and he's trying to illustrate the amount of patience that God has. And he says, look, 
Two things that are not the same, a thousand years and one day, you know, that's, that's the point of a simile. And he says, as, and he's telling us, these two things are not the same, but they're like to God. He's saying, look, God can wait a thousand years, and God can wait one day. And in the context, what, what were they scoffing at? Where is the promise, promise of His coming? So they're saying, where is God? Why hasn't God came back? And, and Peter is rebu- rebuking or, or rebuttling them by saying, look, God can wait one day, God can wait a thousand years, but he says, as... He's not saying one day is a thousand years. He's saying it's light. He's using an example to prove a point. Verse number 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is using a simile, which is comparing two unlike things, in order to make a point. His point is that God is patient, and God can wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. In a thousand years, here's the key, is as a day. Is what the Bible says. A day is as a thousand years. Do you remember that the... uh, you remember that in the first chapter? Go back to Genesis chapter number 1 and look at verse 14. Genesis chapter number 1 and look at verse 14. God, God said, and God said, look, look at verse 14, I'll just read it for you. The Bible says, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. God in Genesis chapter 1 established a 24 hour day. And, and, and then he tells us, Time after time after time, in verse number 5, in verse number 8, he says, uh, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Verse 8, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Verse 13, and the evening and the morning were the third day. Verse 19, and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Verse 23, and the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Verse 31, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And God is just being repetitive and repetitive and repetitive. And He's trying to prove. He gives us two 12-hour periods, morning and evening. If, it, if that day meant a thousand years, why didn't He say, and the evening and the morning, and the evening and the morning, and the evening, you know what I'm saying? He said it once. He said, the evening and the morning were the first day. And as a Christian, we need to understand that. That God created this earth in, in six 24-hour periods. It's not a thousand years. He didn't use evolution. He didn't just plant us here, and then waited a thousand years, you know, and, and it kind of formed out. In six days, God did it. And if you and, and here's what, here's what I, I say to Christians who want to mix evolution with Christians. I, I just want to say to them, choose a side. Choose a side. Either believe in God and say God created the heavens and the earth, or believe in nothing and put your faith in that. But don't try to mix it too. You know, I believe in a God who's powerful enough to create a man in His own image. But number two, let's get off that subject. The first, the first uh, point was the attack of God uh, through evolution. Point number two, the attack of God through environmentalism. The attack of God through environmentalism. Have, have you ever heard of the Mother Earth concept? You ever heard that, that terminology? Actually, in 2 Peter 3, 5, it, it talks about that. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you. We were just in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, verse 7 says, But the heaven and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept... In store, reserved unto the fire against the day of judgment and and the perdition of ungodly men. Let me tell you something. God, the Bible says that He's going to keep this earth till the day He judges it. See, the mother earth concept is this. We're destroying the earth. Mankind is destroying the earth. We are arrogant people to think that we have such an effect on planet earth that we could destroy it. But that's what this world wants us to believe. 
the Bible says that the earth will be around until God judges this planet, the earth is going to be around. And, he, and, he, and here's what they say. And see, it's all an attack on God and it's all an attack on His creation because here's what they say. The people who believe in this Mother Earth, here's what I've heard people say. Mankind is a cancer on Earth. Mankind is destroying Earth. And then, so then they'll say this. We need to get rid of mankind. We need to destroy mankind. Have you ever heard this term, overpopulation? People say we're overpopulated. And there's too many people on earth. And, and people say, I, I've literally with my own ears heard people say, you know, when these uh, diseases go through uh, certain nations and they just wipe out uh, uh, a whole group of people or like a storm will come in and just wipe out a whole nation and they'll say, good, we need to get rid of humans. We're, we're uh, you know, I'm thinking to myself, man, that's crazy. You would think of a human being that way as a cancer. But it's just funny because they, they say we're overpopulated attacking Genesis chapter number 1. And in Genesis chapter number 1, God says, verse 27, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He them. Male and female created them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. It's just interesting to me to just know the sovereignty of God that when He wrote this book, thousands of years ago, He was already answering the critics today. The critics say, there's too many people on earth. And God says, no, no, multiply and be fruitful. And God says, have children. And here's the advice I want to give you. If you're married, have children. Have children. They're a blessing. I love my kids. You know? And, uh, and people think that if you have a lot of kids and they try to you know, make you feel bad and say, oh, you're, uh, uh, what about your carbon footprint? You know, and all these different types of things. And it's crazy. You know, and honestly, I, I heard somebody say this and I thought it was interesting. When you have, when you have more kids... You know, the, the, way, the way your lifestyle is, your carbon footprint actually is less per, per individual. Does that make sense? Because when, when, I had, when me and my wife, when it was just us two, you know, we were eating out a lot. We were going out, buying clothes, doing all these things. Now that we have kids, you know what we're doing? When we buy clothes, go to the thrift store. And we're reusing other people's clothes. So our carbon footprint is actually less per person than... The average American family with their one child, you know. So we're, I, I look, Verity Baptist Church is eco-friendly. We are green. Look outside. My wife has a garden. You know why? Because we have a lot of kids. Well, we don't have a lot of kids, but we have two kids. We're planning on having a lot of kids, and and so we got a budget, so we got a plan, you know. So we're so that causes us to take care of Mother Earth. It's funny how God just plans things out, right? He says, multiply. See, because we got all these crazy hippies walking around saying, uh, Mother Earth, Mother Earth, don't have children, don't have children. Where if you have children, it forced you to love Mother Earth. You'd take care of Mother Earth. Because you'd be planting a garden. And you'd be growing your own tomatoes, your own organic tomatoes, and your own organic cantaloupe, which I, my wife had me raking out there last, uh, last week, getting ready, you know, cleaning up, and... Uh, and I pulled out her, or her cantaloupe on, by mistake because I didn't know I didn't know it was a cantaloupe. But uh, you know we're growing our organic garden. Why? Because we had kids. You think we were doing that when we were just had no kids? No, because we had money. <laughs> but you know now now we're broke. So, but see, God takes care of that. And and if people just decided, I'm just gonna have kids. I'm just gonna let God. I'm gonna allow God. I'm going to follow what God says and I'm just going to be fruitful and I'm going to multiply and we'd actually do more for planet Earth. Because the individual carbon footprint of each person in my house is less than the average American. That's why the air conditioner is off. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know why the air conditioner is off. That's not good. 
but we live in a, in a crazy world. And, and you know, planet Earth is not overpopulated. I heard somebody say this, and, I, and one of my friends, actually Pastor Steve Anderson, he said that, he, I heard him say that he actually verified this. I heard a man say this, and then he went through, and, and he loves math, so he went through and he did the calculations, and he, and he verified this. But somebody said that you could fit the entire population of planet Earth in the city limits of Tampa, Florida. And, oh, was it Jacksonville? Oh, okay, Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, so the earth isn't overpopulated. We got some guys that, uh, some families that drove up from Arizona. And when you drive, I've, I've driven down to Phoenix, Arizona many times. And when I drive down uh, to, to Southern California, and, and then I cut left there and go towards Arizona, you know what I, what I pass by? A whole lot of land. A whole lot of nothing. And the earth is overpopulated in Sacramento. Because everyone wants to live in Sacramento. <laughs> and so we're populated in London and New York because everyone wants to live in those cities. But the vast majority of the country is not populated. And we're not overpopulated. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. But we live in a society that hates man. And they, want, they don't want us to have a lot of kids. They want you to have one kid. China, one kid. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. And we live in a society that hates God. And, and that's why we have these philosophies that are just uh, prevalent, uh, like evolution and environmentalism. Another thing about environmentalism is this, the, the animal rights concept. You're, you've heard animal rights, right? Look at verse number 26, Genesis 1.26. The Bible says, And God said, Let us make man in our, in our image, after our likeness. And look what it says. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. God said that He wants us to have dominion over animals. Uh, verse 28 says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. You know what that word dominion means? It means to rule. It means to dominate. God said that animals were placed here for us to rule over them. Now, listen to me very carefully. I am not advocating or condoning animal cruelty. Obviously, in any way. And the Bible talks about that. Uh, you don't have to turn there. You can if you'd like. But Proverbs uh, 12.10 says, A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. And God makes it clear. If Look, if, if you've got a kid who finds pleasure in uh, you know, like taking the eyes out of a bunny rabbit, there's probably something wrong with that kid. <laughs> According to the Bible, he's probably wicked. Okay? A human being shouldn't find pleasure in just being cruel to animals. So obviously we're not, we're not advocating animal cruelty, but what, I, what we are preaching against is this. This philosophy where we live in this world where now it seems like an animal has more rights than a human being. You know, we, I heard somebody say this and I thought it was interesting. We live in a society that prides itself on not trying uh, chemicals on, on little bunny rabbits. You know, not trying shampoos and makeup on, on hamsters. And, and, and we pride ourselves on that as 3,000 human beings are aborted every day. And you've got to think to yourself, our society does not understand the truth. When people get more upset about a gray whale or a spotted owl than about a human life. It's crazy. And it's an attack on God. And, it's a, and, and, and when you attack God, you attack, you attack mankind because we were made in the image of God. 
And, uh, and I, I want you to know Proverbs 12, 20, 10, there, there's no commandment there. God never commands you not to be cruel to animals. He just, he just tells you, if you are cruel to animals, there's something wrong with you. But God tell, told us to dominate. God told us to have dominion over animals. God told us to... to they're there for us. So hunt it. Eat it. You know, after the service, we're going to grill up some ham, some, some of those hot dogs. And I'm not exactly sure what percentage of that hot dog is, is animal. But whatever part it is, enjoy it. And whatever part it isn't, you know, uh, we're, I was joking, Brother Dave and I were joking around about, about, you know, this food. Sometimes we eat this unhealthy food and we just, we pray before the meal and we're just like asking God to like just bless the food and like make it healthy in our mouth as we're eating it, you know, to like, like change the molecular structure of this hot dog and like make it like spinach or something you know it's crazy but but hey eat meat you know God gave us these teeth to eat meat and God said have dominion over animals and love animals and and be kind to animals but an animal is not a human a human is not equal to an animal we are not the same uh, and we ought to believe that and we ought to know that and this environmentalist stuff is a bunch of garbage point number three this is the last point and I'm done Point number three. We're talking about the attacks on God that are rebuttaled in Genesis chapter number one. And here's, here's the point number three, and I'm done. The attack on God through egocentrism. Egocentrism. The first point was the attack on God through evolution. Point number two was the attack on God through environmentalism. Point number three, man, I had to search deep and wide, but I had to find something that started with an E, right? Evolution, environmentalism, the attack on God through egocentrism. You say, say, did you just make that word up? No, no, no. Look, I got a definition. I, I couldn't, it's not in the Bible, so I just have to get a definition from the dictionary. Egocentric, here's what it says. Having or regarding the self or the individual as the center of all things. Having little or no regard for interests, beliefs, or attitudes other than one's self. Here's what it means to be self-centered. Self-absorbed, self-obsessed. And that is the society we live in today. It seems like everyone in our society believes in this philosophy and to some extent. And the sad thing is that it seems like a lot of Christians... Uh, want to believe in this way where they are the center of their universe they are the most important person in their universe and their happiness comes first and their well-being comes first and let me tell you something it's interesting to me as we read Genesis chapter number 1 God wrote the Bible and God chose He could have chosen to say anything and it's very interesting to me that the very first words in the Bible it could have been anything but the very first phrase of the Bible, God chose to use these words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you know that God commands us to put Him first? He put Himself first. In the Bible, He said, In the beginning, God. He gave Himself the first phrase, the first mention in His Bible. Deuteronomy 6.5, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. The Bible says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Matthew 22.37, Jesus Christ was quoting Deuteronomy 6.5, And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. I want you to turn, to, please, to Colossians 1.18. Colossians 1.18 in the New Testament. First and Second Corinthians, 
Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter number 1 and look at verse number 18. Colossians chapter number 1 and look at verse number 18. The Bible says, And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, in the beginning God, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have preeminence. God commands us to give Him preeminence in all things. God commands us to put Him first in all things. And here's really the last point. In the beginning, God. In our lives, we need to choose to have God in the beginning. See, God putting God first is going to tell you what you're going to do with your life. When you get to that point where you've got to make a decision, and, you, and you've got maybe sin at, at, at your door, and you've got to decide, am I going to do my will, or am I going to do God's will? In the beginning, God will take care of that decision. See, on Sunday morning when you're trying to decide, man, should I go to church this morning or, or, or should I go uh, to the park this morning? Should I go to church this morning or should I go uh, fishing this morning? And your flesh really wants to do the other. But in the beginning, God would put God first. See, in the beginning, God is going to decide whether you get up tomorrow morning and read the Bible or whether you get up tomorrow morning and read anything else. In the beginning, God is going to decide whether you get on your knees to pray to God tomorrow or whether you just decide to watch television. In the beginning, God is going to decide whether or not you're here uh, to church on Wednesday night. In the beginning, God is going to decide your relationship with God and how you choose to have that. Because God said that in all things, He might have preeminence. And I just want to challenge you in all things to put God first. And I think the problem is this, that we don't see God as He is. This is the last reference, I promise. Just go to Isaiah chapter number 6. I want you to see this, and, and we're done. And we'll, we'll get to those half-meat hot dogs. If you, Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter number 6, and look at verse number 1. Isaiah chapter number 6, and look at verse number 1. See, we, have, we don't have a good view of God. This morning we have, our society has this relaxed view of God. That's why people call him, they, uh, they disrespectfully call him the man upstairs. Or JC, like he's some sort of a rapper or something. You know, instead of saying Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Which in the Bible, no, you don't find people just calling him Jesus Christ. They call him the Lord Jesus Christ. They have respect for God. And today we just have this, this, this relaxed atmosphere. That's why, look, when we come to church here, hey, you know, we want you to come and you come as you are. But look, when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to God, we're going to show respect. And we're going to take time to read the verses. And we're going to get time to preach the gospel or to preach the, the Bible. And if you, you say it's boring, you say you don't like it, get a good view of God and you'll like it. Because Isaiah 6, 1, look, look what it says. Are you there? Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also, this is Isaiah speaking, he said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Isaiah saw, said that he saw God, and when he saw God, when he saw the Lord, here's how he described Him, high and lifted up. 
Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. He starts letting us know about this entourage that was with God and the, the beast and the animal and the and the seraphims that were with him. Verse 3 says, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And look at his response. When Isaiah got a good view of God, look at his response. Verse number 5. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What to God would you get a view of God tonight like Isaiah did? Notice, when he got a good view of God, here's what he said, I am a man. See, our society says this, our society that disrespects God, says, I'm a, I'm a man, like that's a good thing. I'm an evolved creature, I'm the most evolved creature on this planet. I don't need God. But he says it in a humble way, he says, look, I'm just a man. He says, I am come undone. He was just humbled by getting a view of God. And I hope tonight, while we read those passages, and we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and now He formed the earth, and now He formed the animals, and now He created mankind, I pray that you would see God as He is. God is holy, and God is pure, and God is powerful, and God is omnipresent, and God is high and lifted up. He's not our buddy. I mean, the Bible says that He can be your friend. But He's higher than a man. And if we understood that, then we would put God in the beginning. You know why you're bored tonight? It's because you refuse to put God in the beginning. You put yourself in the beginning. You put yourself first. And God said, God said in the beginning God. And if we would just decide to put God first, and get our attitude right, man, we'd fall in love with this book, we would fall in love with our families, we would fall in love with this community, with people, when we see God as He is, because when, when God is who He is, then we can find assurance in knowing that we were created in the image of God. You can find assurance that your life has a purpose. Jeremiah, remember we were talking about Jeremiah, how God formed him, and God had a plan for his life. But there's no hope in thinking we were just an accident. There's no hope in thinking we're just an animal. We just happen to stumble upon this planet. There's no hope in what Steve, uh, Stephen Hawking is preaching. There's hope in the Bible. There's hope in God. Because He gives us a worth that comes from Him because we were made in His image. So, I hope you understand that and I hope you just decide, in my life, I'm going to put God first. In the beginning, God. Let's just have a life where we... That's just our motto. In the beginning, God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Lord, we're just studying the Bible. That's all we're doing. Reading a chapter and looking at what we can learn from it. And it's just... It's so interesting to me that people attack your word... And the very passage they're attacking, if they would just read it, they would find your rebuttal. Thank you for giving us the Bible. Thank you for giving us hope. 
Lord, it takes faith to believe that we came from nothing, that, we, that we're an animal. It takes faith to believe that there is a God that has a purpose for my life. We live in a depressed society because we have no hope if we believe that we're just an accident. We love you, Lord. Thank you for making us. Thank you for having a plan for us. And I ask that you'd help us to always put you first in our lives. In your precious name I pray. Amen.